Welcome. You made it to the Secret Society of Success. In this not-so-secret podcast, we interview L&D changemakers about how they approach the evolving corporate environment and cultivate their own careers. From their stories, we hope you find lessons and inspirations to make yourself, your people, and your organization successful. For our second season, we polled you, our listeners, to find out what you wanted to hear about. You chose learner personas. So now we're on a mission to find out from experts the answers to your questions. Like, what is a learner persona? How do you create an effective persona? And most importantly, why are personas a strategic investment for L&D teams? In this first episode, you'll hear from Danielle Wallace from Beyond the Sky. She'll give us an overview of what a learner persona is and why they matter to the entire L&D team, not just instructional designers. My favorite takeaway is how she used Mary, this persona she created to increase overall course adoption across an entire learner population. Let's jump in so you can hear what I mean. Just to start, if you could... uh, Introduce the audience to yourself. So I'm Danielle, and I head up a great team of uh, instructional designers and learning strategists at Beyond the Sky Custom Learning, where we work with local and global clients. But our real passion is just creating training that sticks. And that's why learner personas become so important, because all this fuels together for really effective learning solutions. That's awesome. I appreciate that. And, you know, if I remember correctly, too, because I think it'll it'll likely dovetail nicely into our discussion today on why those matter in the first place. Uh, in it, before you started in learning development, you, you were also a marketing professional by trade. For yeah, a that's my hidden secret that you've revealed, <laughs> Thomas. That's my secret. So prior to this, I was in various marketing leadership roles at PepsiCo and Procter & Gamble where amongst other things, I learned different behaviors to change people's actions and attitudes and it can ignite and compel maybe buying things or maybe thinking about a product in a new way. And now I have the privilege of doing and using those same techniques now for the forces of good to create (laughs) moments where people can think about things differently and learn things differently and have new skills and behaviors. That's great. That's great. So yeah, for today's conversation, just, you know, really to jump right in, I think what we'd love to get your perspective on, given your marketing background, and and now your focus as a learning strategist for Beyond the Sky, is really why do personas matter in the first place? Why is this the new buzzword in the the L&D space? And why, why are personas so important? Yeah, and this is not a new buzzword from the marketing industry. This is like tried and true for a while. Um, And that's because it works. It not only makes training effective, but it shapes the entire training strategy. It's hard to create a meaningful, high-impact course that has the right ignition of behavior change that you want without that really thorough, deep understanding of the learner. We've used learner personas to dramatically change not only the learning solution, the learning delivery that uh, is endeavored in that. For example, we recently were creating systems training. We all create systems training. But upon looking at our learner persona, Mary, we realized, oh, my gosh, Mary and then our other persona, Janice. But Mary, she was 70 plus, um, highly educated, 
but wasn't used to the pace of change that we had within some of the systems she needed to do. And it was only through the deep understanding of that persona that we were able to make some pretty significant shifts in how the system training would roll out to her. Realizing our initial, the initial approach without thinking of Mary was like, hey, it's intuitive. Like, just actually just do it. Um, <laughs> do it on your own. And like, honestly, you and me, we could probably figure it out. But we are a different persona. Upon understanding Mary, it was a dramatic shift. And it works because now the learning solution was tailored to Mary's needs and to achieve the desired performance outcomes from Mary. That, that's such an interesting example. I think it's one I might go back to and have you unpack a little bit further for, for the audience because you know, the difference that made is you met Mary where Mary was, yeah, not where you were, right? No. At the end of the no. day, you know, if you want to make a change in someone's behavior, you know, step one is you better be where they are but not where you think they are or where you are. Um, and, and that's responsibility of the person who's trying to drive the change in behavior, not the person whose behavior is being changed. You know, you mentioned very early on that marketing or product personas have been a thing for a while, right? And I think that this concept of a learning persona in the L&D industry is relatively new compared to how long the persona concept has been around in, in marketing. Are they different? Is a learning persona in an L&D space, you know, vastly different than what you you might see or create for the purposes of, of marketing or product? Yeah, that's a great question. So when I look back to my marketing days um, and then the personas I see now as well from both marketing and just a pure learning standpoint, the function is the same. The outcome is the same in terms of being able to make better decisions and shape a better strategy. What the differences are is often the inputs that go in. So within the marketing world, my budget was a lot bigger. I had much richer data. I, I did. And it fueled some more data-driven insights about my persona. I see the same thing uh, now with in organizations that are fortunate to be able to leverage their persona from their marketing department because they may be selling their courses to external clients. And they also have the benefit of not just rich data, but also the visual accompaniments to really bring this persona to life. Um, visual aesthetics of what the actual page looks like, or the pictures or the mannequin or however it's brought to life. But the functions of it is the same. It still allows us to make better decisions, to shape our strategy, to make nuanced decisions as well. The differences that we as learning professionals need to do is we need to, in consequence, fill in some of those gaps, which we do anyhow in learning and development, make some um, educated assumptions to be able to connect the dots so our persona is meaningful and useful. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. So at the end of the day, you're trying to drive towards the same outcome. Some of the inputs and the ability to you know, maybe use as many resources to drive resources to drive those inputs are a little bit different. Um, I'd love to go a little deeper into you know, starting with the inputs and then ultimately the outputs and how you use the outputs. So starting with the inputs, you know, how do you build a learner persona? What inputs are you looking for? Uh, yeah. So within the learning development context, we would start off with grabbing data. So qualitative things you could see or get from talking to people and quantitative data, 
which is the numbers. Maybe that's from your LMS or for your HR information systems. It's that combination of data gathering. I personally recommend a combination of quantitative and qualitative data. For example, pairing the information from the demographics that you get in your LMS with um, focus groups or observational interviews where you are in the workspace observing how people interact and don't interact. I've had some of my richest learner persona creation with that combination. I got the facts and then I've accompanied it with um, qualitative insights, which really shed light on what some of the uh, insights were that weren't just strictly gleaned from the numbers themselves. So the whole point is just this rich basis of data. That's great. What are some of the key pieces of information, right? The table stakes, if you will, that you would look for, you know, let's say you guys are consulting for an organization. They're like, hey, help me build a learner persona for this initiative. Uh, What are the the must-haves? Beyond the demographics and the whole idea of a learner persona is that it is beyond the demographics. So with that, I will look to the motivations. So gleaning insights, whether through a quantitative or qualitative data, about what is motivating that employee to do their job. What is their motivations attitude toward training? Where are they taking the actual course? Is their perceptions of their workplace themselves one conducive to supporting an environment of growth? All these little aspects of it, those motivations and attitudes, coupled with some of the technological items, where they're most likely to be doing their courses, let's say. Say it's a course. Is it on their mobile phone? Is it on the go? Um, What does their day in the life look like? Uh, Those are all pieces that come into play so one can weigh the pros and cons, realizing, okay, when I'm designing a solution, eventually, but at least to complete that persona, I'm gathering the right information. An easy way of going about this is to think from, okay, in the day of a life, Mary wakes up first thing in the morning and what does she do? Well, actually, she wakes up slowly and then by 10 a.m. she's sort of puttering around the house and she's had her coffee and then she's starting to check in on her email. Her, her persona, when she realized the extraction of her life, is quite different than you or I might have. And it's understanding that entire day and then how her workday is fitting in uh, really drives the richness of that persona. That's great. I love the example of the day in a life exercise, right? It's really you know, leveraging as much empathy as you can to put be able to put yourself in someone else's shoes. Um, and it just into capturing, you know, like you said earlier, data points that may just exist in your LMS or in your HR management system, like what is the age? What is the, you know, what is the sex? Where are these people located? What devices do they have access to? What company devices or personal devices that they have access to that they might, right? So, so those are more, you know, kind of probably simply captured things. But I think the, the emphasis on the using empathy to understand a day in the life, understand the motivations is what I'm hearing and really round out to, to create a really rich, meaningful uh, persona is what it sounds like. Because ultimately, at the end of the day, you want to be thinking this is a person. It's not a literal real person by any means, but you want the richness of the data that fuels it and then how it's manifested through visuals, mannequin, whatever. You want that to feel like it is a real person. So at every turn, you can think, oh, what would Mary think? Would Mary understand this jargon? 
with, does this make sense for Mary? Yeah, that makes total sense, right? I think it, 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 and that empathy probably allows you to ask that question in a deeper way, I would imagine, right? Yeah. You know, it makes it, it makes it a little bit more real. So you just started to jump there, but, but how do you use them, right? So you, we talked about inputs. Now let's talk about outputs. How do you, you've got Mary, you've created Mary, this, this persona that you shared early in your systems training. Um, I guess unpack a little bit further for us how the persona itself is a tool that you apply to your overall learning strategy, whether it be delivery, content, design, et cetera. Once the persona is brought to life, in this case, Mary, we brought Mary to life through images, which many people do. In other organizations, we've had a mannequin that was in the marketing world itself. So she was there and just present. Um, With that ever pervasive feeling of Mary, it allows you to make decisions. So at every turn, you're thinking from the start, uh, we do this in every course, actually, would Mary understand this jargon? Is this approach um, suitable for Mary's needs? Will it fit into Mary's work environment, into Mary's life? So right up from the start, and with all our stakeholder alignment, we were able to align on some pretty dramatic decisions. In this case of the systems training, we were rolling out massive, massive training that had a high impact in the organization and a high training component that went with it. We had two personas. One was our persona for um, the full-time employee, um, university educated, technically savvy. And we have a whole list of her media habits and motivations. Where I wanted to focus on, though, was our persona for Mary, because it was through that understanding up front and through our past meetings and our past sessions that our stakeholders were aligned on oh, okay, this is what motivates Mary and this is what frustrates Mary. And Mary is really influential, actually. So we found a way to create a different learning solution that accommodated her needs. So more specifically, rather than the other solution for other persona, which was systems intuitive. So here's some job aids and like you're fine and they were. But with Mary, regardless if it's intuitive or not, the feeling she wanted and the support she got we supported her through live question and answer sessions and sessions where we were available to provide her uh, almost like an office hours so she could work and try and go through all the activities that we had for her to learn the system on her own while somebody was there trying to mimic in a virtual environment the hand-holding for lack of a better word, that are was so important for our persona. This is the things that really made her learning stick and provided her the right environment, the right supportive environment for this training experience. So the end result of that is just a more effective learning solution that really dramatically shaped our learning strategy. I appreciate all the detail. Um, there was something very interesting to me in that example you shared of Mary. Um, that I'd like to unpack further because I believe it could be compelling for the audience. You mentioned Mary had a lot of influence. Why was that important? Why was learning that important? Oh, great point. So, and this comes down to the fundamental aspect of you create learner personas for sufficient enough population size or influence to warrant your time investment. Often I get asked, but I've got like 50 different types of employees in my warehouse. Do I do 50 personas? Well, no. And and we have a many uh, different subsets of Mary in this example. But aggregated together, uh, Mary became a powerful influence, not only because 
the role that Mary represented, um, but also the, the stakeholder and the input. So because Mary was important was why we had a learner persona with her and she represented a sufficient enough population size. Okay. That, that's a, see, that's a really interesting, I think, very tactical takeaway, right? So, you, you know, in a resource constraint environment, which we know learning and development often is, it sounds like it's going to be really important to decide on the personas that you may create based on the authority and the influence and the population size that, that is made up from, you know, that group. I guess that would make up a persona. Yeah, exactly. And often it is population size. Um, in this case, it was both population size and influence. But I could see the instance where you would create a persona against a smaller population size because they are very important. Yeah. For example, if you have courses that are going to executives as well as general your general learner base, you would have a separate learner persona for those executives who would have a lot of stakeholder influence and probably different needs that you would need to cater to. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting too, because I I started to make a a leap and I'm curious if this was the real life experience. You know, you mentioned earlier, the systems training that you were rolling out in the example is a, a high impact effort. Right. Like this is organization wide. It was a, a deliverable that I would imagine uh, a new system usually has a high monetary investment to it. Right. So a deliverable that that has probably a lot of visibility uh, needs to be well coordinated and well done across the organization. Right. Am I, am I correct? Absolutely. Yeah. So at the, where I was going with it, I'm not sure if this is the case. And, and if, if it is, you know, I, I'm curious to get your thoughts on it. But you know, to me, that's what makes that Mary persona so interesting is that, you know, if I had gone the path of just assuming there were not two groups and the system was relatively intuitive and I could just roll it out with a job aid, while that may have worked and been successful for 80% of my audience, um, which might be a normally acceptable standard, you know, in this case, because of Mary and because of the influence Mary has within the organization, you know, Mary sounds like the person that if you can't create a training that will be effective for her in this scenario, uh, the perception of the delivery of your training, systems training is going to be negative because of her influence. Absolutely. The entire system training would be negative if it doesn't work with Mary. And that's where the richness of personas come into play and in being able to shape the entire strategy. And it allows you to make decisions and trade-offs. So we have multiple personas within any um, organization, but it allows you to make upfront, proactive, strategic decisions as to which persona may prioritize the others. In a world of constraints within learning and development, we need to make priorities. but often we're ill-informed with which to do that, or they come after the fact or not at all. When realizing upfront, we needed to cater to Mary. This was going to make or break whether or not this system was successful. And knowing upfront and creating the right structure upfront, that was designed for Mary. But honestly, we rolled it out to everybody. So everybody would actually be able to have the same benefits should they choose. But because of that priority on Mary, was what made the system launch successful. I love that example. I think it's such a good one. I think there's so many nuances that 
really perfectly personify the, the importance of having that right persona um, and how that enables you to make the right decisions um, to overall, you know, deliver something that's that's effective. Um, let me ask you another tactical question. You know, I guess, what kind of support do you find is required either within an organization um, or, or more tactically, um, you know, what types of roles or responsibilities do you need to have to actually start creating a learning persona? So it's best, I mean, ideally you do this within your own organization with your own access to your employee data, uh, but the quantitative and qualitative at play. Um, and, and furthermore, the management support within your learning and development structure or your business and stakeholder structure. So they actually buy in, participate, and then use the personas so when you are making your business case, people are already bought into the persona. That's the ideal world within your own organization with full stakeholder support and access to data. That said, that's not always the case. And certainly for us, we uh, do this on behalf of our clients. And yet we still create personas. For that, we've had the fortune of being able to interview various people in and do focus groups and as well as get some access to some numerical metrics, but at a more aggregate level. Um, and using all that combination of qualitative and quantitative data, we were able to put together our, our Mary, actually, our persona that I'm sharing with you today. What was a nice addition to that was also being able to have a discussion and bring Mary to life by having an actual um, person within that population base uh, speak to us to help dimensionalize for the team what Mary is all about. And what makes this all successful is having the support for data or the ingenuity on your own to gather the data. I speak to the ingenuity of the data because when I was in the marketing world, I was going to be starting on Doritos. So I was responsible for Doritos. Prior to me starting work, I decided to get out there and get a sense for my target population. I only knew them by their demographics, um, 13 plus. And I, I did not know much about this demographic. I did not yet have the psychographic insights at play, nor the rest of the data. But through my own ingenuity, I started off... I was, went downtown. I went to different <laughs> hangouts. I started talking to people. Just, hey, you know, what are you listening to? Hey, what are you eating? Like, I just through my own um, creative ingenuity that I was able to glean this qualitative insights, and that cost nothing, um, and it was rather fun and amusing. But it, and it, I could not create a full persona on that because I didn't have enough data points, and it was just qualitative. Uh, at that point in time. But what that allowed me to do is when I had more quantitative data, I was able to put everything into place. And even that simple steps of that example made me a better marketer and made me make better decisions because of that richness of understanding who that persona was. So there's little things we can yeah. do even on no budget and no support. Yeah. Um, while ideally in the real world, we have the full support and the full access to data. Yeah. Yeah. That, I mean, that's a great example. And I, I love that. I love the Dorito story, right? Because I think that you're, I think that you're right. At the end of the day, uh, you know, the opportunity to build out a persona and understand your audience, um, the easiest way to start with you, just go talk to them, right? <laughs> and yeah. Simply put, just go have a conversations, 
uh, with people that you believe fit the audience that you're trying to serve uh, and learn a little bit about them um, right. you know, through genuine asking your questions. I love that as a very uh, practical takeaway, right? If you don't have the full support of the stakeholders, uh, you can just get out there and ask some questions. Uh, I love that. You know, if there was, if you were to prioritize three things, let's say I'm I'm in instructional design or I'm leading a learning and development department um, and I'm just serving an internal employee base, relatively restored constraints, but I know personas are important. I'm inspired by, by your Mary story. I could see the impact already. Uh, maybe it resonates from uh, a systems training I did that didn't go as well as I, I would have liked. What are the three things you would tell this persona to go out and do tomorrow um, to start implementing learning personas as part of their overall strategy? Um, the three things I would do, I would say, to make it very practical for your audience, presuming there's many constraints at place, just so it's very broadly applicable for everybody. Uh, the first thing I would say is use the data that's already there. So within our um, HRIS or within our LMS systems, there is data that is already there. It can be hard to get, so you will have to ask or, or format Excel tables, but there is data already there. So firstly, start off with data that's waiting to be used and analyze that. Again, going back to the marketing world, that's the hidden thing people don't realize. It's actually all analysis. And it's from the deep understanding that you get to see cool commercials or, or need interaction, <laughs> but it's because it's on good data. The same thing should be true of learning and development. The second thing I would say is, um, and for anybody is to go out there on the floor, whatever the floor may be, to actually be able to observe your learners um, and get a sense, hopefully you've had some quantitative data, but you can get a sense for their aspirations or insights. Um, with permission, you can also actually approach people, talk to them, prearrange focus groups, which are pending. Fantastic. Um, but even if in a world of complete constraints and you actually don't have approval for much, you can still get out there on the floor, observe their environment, how people are interacting and not interacting, and hopefully be able to ask questions to gain some insights and understanding. Because even right there, that helps you now with some quantitative data and qualitative data, be able to start to put together your persona, which is my third tip. Realizing this world of of uh, this is constraints of quantitative data, qualitative data, but it's likely incomplete because we're starting off without um, all the full inputs, let's say. The third tip I would say is be wary and mindful when you are drawing inferences from the data because we've already set it up that the data is incomplete. So avoid stereotypes, avoid your own bias of how, you are motivated or how you do things and when you're doing this this should also of course be with others so collectively through your conversations you can be able to fill the missing gaps in um, this the persona isn't a person it isn't one person that you observed on that shop floor it isn't one person that you interviewed the persona is an archetype it's an amalgamation of everything together. So when you're assuring that you're not making assumptions using bias, keep that in mind. This isn't. This is just a, a fabrication of all the data in a way to bring it to life. 
I love that. Those are three really good takeaways, right? Because I think it's, and one I'd actually like to unpack a little bit further, but what I hear is, you know, there's data that already exists. Use it. That's your quantitative. Get out on the floor, observe, ask questions, talk to people. There's your qualitative. And then the last bit, which I do, I really love this. And I'd like to ask one or two more questions about this one, because I don't think we've covered this one yet as much, um, is know what you don't know, (laughs) right? So it's almost realize that the data is incomplete Uh, and have an awareness to that. Also have an awareness of things like biases, um, stereotypes, et cetera. Uh, Can you share, Danielle, I'm curious, any examples of um, that you've seen in your career of how a bias can really influence the outcomes of a persona or the persona that you create um, and some of maybe the unintended consequences of that? Yeah, we've seen it happen in different organizations for a different variety of fields. One example is by age. So, I mean, they mean the call center workers, they are actually like 22 to 39. Like that is their demographic that, and that is what's observed on the floor. And that's what's observed in how people interact with each other. But and those are facts. But what the inference to that was um, like fleeting or low attention spans or, or some of the attributes that were assigned to that because of observing people and on their phones and such while on um, on the, the floor. But those weren't like we, I didn't. How do we get to low attention spans like what? What like what data did we see that showed that? Like I I didn't I don't see that. Um, and why are we designing a micro learning just because they have low attention spans now? It's like wait 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 a second. Let's back up and not fill the gaps that we have with our own inferences and our own judgments on that. So that's like a one practical example. Maybe it is a good solution, but now we're painting and creating an entire persona that are. Um, Aria is flighty. It's like, well, no, I, I don't think there's actually data that actually back that up. Um, and the same can be true for many different um, qualitative, especially assessments, because we are seeing the person. So we keep in our mind the ethnographic tendencies of that person or the uh, demographic or age considerations of that person. Um, when, again, the persona isn't a real person, actually. It's <laughs> we're creating an archetype of that. Right. So be mindful um, of not projecting some of the gap filling through stereotypes and biases. Yeah, I, I think I think that's a really good example, right? With that 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 specific age group, and uh, you know, now now we've gone from uh, because someone grabbed their phone, they're now automatically flighty and have a short attention span, right? That that definitely uh, could be a jump. And to your point, you know, when it gets to the point of how you would use the outputs, um, I could see how that would completely alter the way that you choose to deliver, you know, a specific type of training to that audience. Exactly. And that's because learner personas to go full circle are all about creating the right learning strategy, the right learning outputs based on a solid data-driven understanding of who that learner is. So it all goes full circle. I love it. I love it. Um, And it is really a full circle type exercise. Um, 
Danielle, thank you so much for your time. This has been a fantastic discussion on learner personas, their strategic value, the relationships between a marketing persona and a learning persona. And, and, and really towards the back half of this question, I, I really appreciate how tactical we got with Mary's example. I think there are a tremendous amount of takeaways for our audience here. So I, I just want to thank you again for your time. It, it's been It's been really impactful. This has been delightful. And I look forward to more learner personas out there in the world. Amen. Amen. Danielle, uh, before we wrap, if the audience would like to learn more about you, what you're doing, um, maybe hear more of, of your voice and, and uh, you know, grab more ideas from you about learner personas, uh, where can they find you, you know, socially or on the, on the World Wide Web? Yeah, I've got free learner persona resources actually on my website at www.beyondthesky.ca. Actually, I have a lot there, free templates and infographics about learner personas. And I you can also find me on LinkedIn. I'm very active in social media where I translate what's happening in the marketing world and put it into very practical terms for learning and development professionals. That's awesome. Great. Thank you again. This has been a really enjoyable conversation. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. The Secret Society of Success is hosted by Mimeo, the better way to print. Check out our sister podcast, Talk of the Trade, for tips and tricks for sales and marketing leaders. Visit www.mimeo.com for more information.